So today we're going to be wrapping up our series, uh, Answers in My Identity, uh, as we've been looking at different ways that, that people, uh, humanity tries to pursue uh, value and identity in, in how many different things. Uh, and I think it's really interesting, um, today of all days, uh, we have what's happening outside behind us. Uh, and really what that is, what this festival is, is a search for identity and a celebration of an identity that they have found and, and have made to be a value within their lives. Um, it was interesting, as we were coming up to this, I, I found out about this like on Thursday, Friday. It's kind of seen flyers uh, around town a little bit, and, uh, but I found out on Friday that literally it's going to be like right outside our door uh, kind of thing where, the, where it's closed off and whatever. And, and so at first of all, I was frustrated um, and not because the festival was happening. But I was frustrated because it's like, that's our parking, <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, okay, so now we have to adjust parking. We have to adjust where we're coming in and, and whatnot. And um, it's interesting because we're a downtown church, um, we've always felt like we were supposed to be downtown. We're always supposed to kind of be connected to what's happening within the heart of Janesville and, and all of that. And uh, we still kind of feel it's where God is leading us to be, or we led us to get an office, you know, just a few blocks on the other side of the river over here. And, um, and with that then is uh, we're closer to kind of like the culture uh, of what happens within the city and downtown as well. And this past week, um, as the information was kind of coming out, I, I received a, a number of different messages, um, mostly from people who aren't part of our church, actually. Um, mostly from people who just know that our church happens to be here, um, and they're sending me messages like, do you realize that this is happening? Like, we need to be praying, we need to be praying that this is stopped, that this is canceled, that, that all of these different things. And, and I didn't really, like, take time to respond. Um, one, because they're not part of our church. Um, and, and two, uh, honestly, like, I, I think having an attitude about this festival coming in, and, and I think there's a temptation to have an attitude of the, this is an attack on our city, or, or this is an attack against, you know, Satan's attacking our city, Satan's attacking our community, um, those types of things. Um, and honestly, that's not how I see it at all. Um, what I see it as is just a revelation of what and where our community is at. Like, like it's, it's where, it's not like here's this outside force that like, oh, let's do this, but, but rather it's people within our community that are saying, we want to celebrate this identity, we want to, to celebrate this, that are putting it on. Um, and, and so in that sense, um, it, it just is, I think, opening our eyes to this is the pursuit of our city. This is the pursuit of the world around us. This is what we see in culture all over the place. It just so happens that this year, uh, instead of it being at a park where it's out of sight, out of mind for us on a Sunday morning, uh, it happens to be in the heart of downtown. Uh, and because of that, more people are kind of getting up in arms and responding to it. Um, but again, I think it's the aspect of we were always told within Scripture for the past 2,000 years, we are aliens and strangers in this world, that, that we are light of this world, that, that we're the salt of the earth, uh, that there is something different and set apart from us, from the culture uh, around us. Uh, and there was a, a season of time within our country that uh, a 
American, a lot of Americans identified themselves as being Christian, um, and we're coming onto the backside of that, and as that's fading away, um, that stark contrast is kind of showing up again, but we have to remind ourselves that that contrast between us uh, and those that find their identities in any other thing, it doesn't even have to be this, but it could be any other thing, um, has been there for most of all of the last 2,000 years. And before that, with the Old Covenant and Israel. Uh, and that difference has always been there. And so I, I think it's even more important for us to be looking at and focusing on not so much how do we respond to something, uh, but rather how should we be anchored in an ongoing basis. Uh, and so that's what this series has been about, and it's why we're continuing with that series here this morning and, and looking at how our identity needs to be uh, anchored into Christ. We've looked at a number of different things, whether it's uh, pursuing success for value and identity, looking for approval from others. We've looked at different blocks, like how we value people based on their success or failures. Uh, and today we're going to be taking a little bit uh, deeper look into shame, some of its consequences and you're going to actually notice a, a lot of the different blocks and things that result out of shame are actually very similar to every other block that we've talked about going through this series. Uh, and so before we get into this, um, let's pray again. Father, we come before you uh, as we head into your holy word. We're thankful that it is alive, that it is active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cleaves down to the joining of bone and marrow, to the deepest parts of ourselves. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you would do that work today, uh, revealing things within us that we have been uh, relying on other than you, uh, areas that you are working on within us, areas that you're calling us to submit to. Uh, but Lord, uh, we pray that as your word cleaves down to the deepest parts of our souls, that it would be the anchoring point in our lives. The truth of your word, your created existence, who you are and who you say that we are. Let that be our core identity. Let that be our rock. And let that be the thing that we trust in is that we are in you and you are in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning as we look into the concept of shame and struggling with shame in regards to identity, again, uh, this is simply based on the trap of finding our worth in success or failure. Uh, because if we don't feel shame when we get something right. Right? Like, like we're called to do something, we do something in our life, we do a great job of being a mom or a dad or a husband or wife. Like, like shame doesn't hit us at that moment, uh, but, but where it hits us is I, it's sometimes in the weirdest places, honestly. Uh, this just happened on, on Friday for me. Um, my, my wife and daughter and myself, we went to the Arboretum out in Madison. Uh, which is just gorgeous right now as the colors are changing. Like there's so many maples that turn golden there that as you walk through it, like, like you have this golden canopy over you and then there's all these little maple saplings underneath that turn gold. And, and so you're like literally you're just walking through this golden landscape, which is really, really cool. Uh, anyways, so, so we're kind of going through that, enjoying some time together, God's creation, the colors, the changing of the seasons. Um, and as we're walking along, Angie has her binoculars and she's looking at birds. Uh, and this young lady uh, comes by and, and walks one direction. And I noticed the camera that she had around her neck. And I was like, that didn't look like a digital camera. Like it's really rare that you, you don't see, like most people just have phones, let alone cameras. But, but here's somebody walking by with that old classic like silver and black like camera body style. 
And so they're walking by, and I'm like, I think I know what that is. Uh, and so then she's coming back again, and, and I'm like, hey, is that a film camera? And she's like, yes. And it's like this old Canon AE-1 um, from way back when. And I used to use my grandfather's like Minolta uh, XD-11. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, one person. Uh, <laughs> I love those cameras, though. Like they were like these professional cameras that you would be able to set the aperture just right, the speed of the film. You had so much, I mean, I felt like you had so much more control because it was all manual instead of just point and click. And so talking to her a little bit about it, and she said she had just gotten it. And she did some YouTube videos trying to, to learn how to do it. And, and then I find myself like starting to like teach her and, and, and even like um, show her how to use it a little bit, which I thought was cool. And, and then she kind of like walks away and was thankful. And then I was like hit with this thing in the, in, in the middle of it. It was like, did I just mansplain to her? And I don't know if I did or not, okay? I, I honestly, like, like she seemed interested in the conversation. We're talking about old cameras. It was kind of cool. But like just this thought slipped into my mind of, was I just mansplaining to her how to use her camera? What was she thinking? And I, so now I'm thinking about what she was thinking and was I mans? And, and this like shame over the conversation like hit me in that moment of like, man, did I just, man. and I, for like the next five minutes, I'm like, man, how foolish am I? I'm just one of those guys that, you know, there's that commercial, that insurance commercial out right now where the guy's like teaching older adults, like they're in the, the hardware store and they're like, oh, this is the tool that you, and he's like, no, don't do that. Like, was I one of those guys? Um, and it honestly messed with me for like five to ten minutes. And, and I felt bad that I had had this conversation with her. And, and reflecting upon it further, like I think it was fine. She wasn't trying to walk away. She wasn't saying, okay. It was like a legitimate mutual conversation about a cool camera that was, you know, made in the 1950s, um, which is really cool. But I, the whole reason I share this thing is that shame can sneak in in so many different ways, and it doesn't have to be this big screw-up on our parts. It can simply be second-guessing ourselves, questioning whether we did the right thing or we didn't do the right thing, or, or really, like, did this young lady think that I was mansplaining to her? And, and I felt this, like, emotion um, of, of struggling with that. And so this idea of shame... Uh, even for me yesterday over this silly thing about a five-minute conversation about a really cool camera uh, was based on um, was I successful in having a good mutual conversation with another person or did I fail and mansplain to her? Right, right there, like that value was messing with me. And it happens in so many different ways uh, within our life. And the thing is, is if that we are not intentional when that slips in to like re-anchor our identity in Jesus Christ, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that each opportunity that comes up is a learning experience um, that, that we can grow from. If we don't do that, shame can continue, and, and then we start to accept it to be part of our identity, uh, even though it's false. That's where it's that sense of like, I'm always failing, or it's that sense of, um, well, if people really knew who I was on the inside, um, they wouldn't like me, or they wouldn't want to spend time with me. That, that sense that, that if you ever get that at any point, that's anchored in shame. Because it's this idea of, 
um, what I'm really worth, who I really am, is much less than how others actually see or what I allow other people to see. Uh, and that whole thing is anchored in this shame. And what it is, uh, is that we're basing our identity simply upon a reflection of our past mistakes. That's what it really boils down to. Instead of being anchored in the moment of I'm a son or daughter of Christ, uh, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I'm fully known by God, I'm fully accepted by God, I'm fully loved by God, this is who I am. If I make a mistake, God's going to use it within my life for me to be able to, to grow and to go from here. Uh, instead, what happens is we're always reflecting on what's happened in the past, how we've responded in the past, how we've failed in the past, how we've been foolish in the past. And, and what we do is we keep a record of those things and we kind of tally it up and we anchor our identity based on every single thing that has happened within our past. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the love chapter where love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast. And we were talking about the exercise that we go through and we can replace that word love with my father representing God. So my father is kind, my father is patient. But also within that, it says he keeps no record of wrongdoings. And when we allow this to creep into our identity, what we're doing the very opposite thing. We're keeping a record of our own wrongdoings that God is not. And we're using it to create and establish an identity from this record that we're keeping that God himself doesn't. Satan accuses us. We listen to those accusations uh, and then we begin to accept them. And in that, we begin to feel stuck in failure, stuck in shame. Uh, and even at times, there might be the sense of, I can't change, or it's hopeless for me to change. And this can come and go in various seasons in our life, in different facets of our life. It could be within our jobs, or maybe our marriages, our relationships with kids, wh whatever it is. Maybe there's something that we feel like we need to work on, but it feels hopeless. That we're just not able to change, that we're not able uh, to get better. And, and these are lies and blocks within our life uh, that Scripture directly contradicts. In Philippians, it talks about he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun within us. Again, he's going to do the work. He's going to bring us to that completion and that full reflection of Jesus Christ. And, and we're just on the path. And sometimes it gets really hard in the moment because we're over here and, and we're working on what we need to work on. We're struggling through things. We're, we're dealing with these accusations from the enemy or accepting it into shame within our own life. The, the, the things that we seem to keep going through again and again that we hope to change, hope to fix. The sin that we seek keeping to fall into at times. And we can feel stuck here. And, and over there is this idea of uh, who we're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. Representing Jesus Christ fully right and not falling into sin not falling for temptations and and those types of things and, and what scripture tells us is that god the work of the holy spirit within us will take us from here to there it, it is a promise guarantee if we're his son or daughter he promises it in philippians chapter one where we get hung up in is how do we get from here to there because sometimes it feels like this chasm in between us and especially if we're trying to do it within our own strength and our own abilities 
Like, like, all right, I just need enough willpower in order to avoid this sin. And our willpower is never enough. And we need to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit and the work within our hearts that He can do in a full submission to Him. But because of that chasm, again, we can feel stuck in failure. We can feel stuck uh, on this particular side, which can lead to feelings uh, of, of self-pity and feeling that because we're stuck and we just can't change, or we start feeling sorry for ourselves in that particular situation, and it can end up in this spiral where we just begin to accept where we are, or we're complacent where we are, or we give up where we are because it feels hopeless. And when we're there, sometimes we just try then to uh, avoid acknowledging pain within our lives. Because it's a very painful thing to be in this place where we feel stuck. Shame, by definition, is an emotion of pain. It's painful to feel like we did something wrong. Or it's painful to, to feel like we're devalued because we've done something wrong. It's painful to be in a place where we feel sorry for ourselves because we can't seem to get things right or we can't get from this place across the chasm to where we think that we're supposed to be. Because again, we're trying to do it with our own strength and within that, the aspects of feeling like we're failing through that is painful. And so again, the result, and we've covered this result in the different blocks throughout this series so far, uh, the result is trying to avoid this pain through entertainment, through busyness, through work, through relationships, uh, through substances, through sex. We try to protect ourselves from that pain of shame or, or failure, uh, sometimes in isolation, withdrawal from others. Uh, and again, we have the details on those things and some of those other messages. But the truth is, is, as much as we don't want to find ourselves in a situation like that, or as much as we don't want to acknowledge that we're in a situation uh, like that, that sometimes the enemy has so twisted our sense of identity around that we may be there and not even realize it. Or we might be there and we begin to, to accept it because it's almost easier to accept being a failure than it is to accept the challenge to grow. And, and we can see this in all kinds of different things. Like I, I remember a couple years ago when I started this uh, journey towards trying to be healthier and exercising and, and stuff like that. And, and just the idea of walking out the front door for a run um, was, was just so overwhelming that it was just like, why? Like what's the point of even trying? Like, like I'm going to go out there and, and I'm going to start running. Uh, but all, honestly, let's just be honest, all I'm going to do is just plod. I'm going to plod for like half a block, and, and then I'm going to be the guy in like the running shoes, the running short, the running shirt, that's just kind of sitting there like this. On this. I, and I think that was like the mental picture that I had in my mind of what it would be like for me to start running. And, and so in that sense... It was easier for me, instead of starting on the journey of growth and, and working up eventually to be able to complete a half marathon, which was, was cool, um, but in the very beginning, it was almost like, a, I can't even run around the block. Why, I'll, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And, and it was almost like this fear of not being able to run a block stopped me from even running at all. 
And, and what was really necessary was for me to try and run a block and, and then whatever that was, and the next day try again, and the next day try again. And, and it's that progression and that effort of growth that actually begins to make the changes within our body uh, as we're able to continue on and grow. It's, it's the same thing within our spiritual lives and so many different things that we can actually fall into the sense of because we expect that failure is going to happen, and then we can fall into accepting First is the expectation of failure. Second is the accepting that failure might happen. And then because we're afraid of failure, we don't step out in what we're supposed to. We don't step out and head in towards growth. Because it feels hard. We think we're going to fail. Or what are people going to think of us? Or what are they going to think of me in, you know, all the right clothing for running, but here I am walking. Right? And, and so that fear of failure... Uh, can get us to be stuck in a place, um, but actually in a place that's more comfortable. Because it's more comfortable to be like, well, I think that I'm not going to run the block, so let me stay on the couch instead of trying. Versus getting out there and trying and, and going through that struggle of growth. And God's calling us to do something within our lives, to, to get rid of a habit, to get rid of a hang-up, to, to change the way that we spend our money or the way that we spend our time, that sometimes what happens within our lives is this idea of, well, that seems too hard, or if I make the effort, like, it's just going to be, you know, how could I ever not watch TV for two days? And, and if we get into that, it's almost easier to, like, oh, well, I'll start it later, I'll start it later. And really what it is is just this avoidance. Like we're thinking we're still going to do it, but we're just not willing to start it. And we can fall into this place of being comfortable in the desire to do what God's calling us to, but not doing it because we feel like we might fail at doing it. Uh, and it can be this circular trap uh, that we fall into. And all we're really doing is seeking uh, a sense of comfort uh, instead of being stretched. The thing is, though, is that trying to escape uh, this pain or shame um, by trying to better ourselves, to trying to use our own strength uh, in order to do this, um, really becomes a circular trap. It has to be anchored within Christ. Because if we try and do this within our own strength, what eventually will happen? Are we strong enough to do it? No. And so if we're trying to do all of this within our own strength, within our own abilities, it's inevitable that there's going to be a sense of failure at some time, which then all it does is really affirm the lie that we're struggling to get out of in the first place. And so it needs uh, to be a different perspective. We cannot try and do this within our own strength. Uh, and it's not just trying to change an old pessimistic attitude, um, but rather it's something that has to be miraculous. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, puts it this way. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When this comes to our sense of identity, what it is is do not be conformed to this age and finding your value based on being good enough. Do not be conformed to this age and finding an identity that's anchored in something that is popular. 
Don't be conformed to this age and, and be trying to find an identity that has the approval of everybody around you or a community that you find. But instead, have your mind transformed so that you're able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In order to overcome shame or any other block to having our identity in Christ, we must allow our minds to be transformed. We must allow for this miraculous work of God to take place so that we accept his truth over our perceptions. Because what happens is, is if our identity is anchored in the world, uh, it finds itself shaken by so many different things. And the reality is it's shaken by our perceptions because our identity has been built by our perceptions. And really it's just a house of cards in the middle of a hurricane. Instead of being anchored in Christ. We've been given a foundation, Romans talks about, where we can build upon that foundation with straw and stubble. And those storms are going to blow that identity and the things that we build on top of our salvation will blow it right away. And sometimes we struggle with that as Christians. And God allows for those things to happen in order to reveal to us areas in our lives that we've been trusting on things other than him. But if we're able to build with precious things, the, the stone, the gold, the silver, precious stones, uh, that's the work that's going to endure. That's the work that's based on what God has done within us. And again, it has to be something that's miraculous. The reason for that, the theological term uh, for this uh, in that book that we're kind of basing the series on uh, is that God's answer to shame and the sense of condemnation or self-pity, um, his answer to this is uh, the uh, theological term regeneration. Now this term regeneration simply means the new life given to us at salvation. That we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that we were spiritually dead, that we're made alive in Christ is what's meant by this term in regeneration. This is the new life given uh, that was spoken to Nicodemus, that concept of being born again. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. And we went more in depth into this in the series that we're doing in John that you can go back and look into. But, but essentially what happens is that before a relationship with Christ, we're living in our flesh, we're living out of our flesh, and we're living out of the strength of our flesh. Because of that, we try and construct any identity that makes sense to us, that gives us a sense of stability, a sense of value, of worth, of acceptance. And again, we have examples of that all around us in the world today. But what Jesus is saying is unless uh, you are then born of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So when we come to the point of salvation where all of our trust, all of our hopes, all of our confession is upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, a repentance of trying to build up our own identities and hold on to them and trust them that we're going to be good enough, setting all of that aside and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, as we do that, this regeneration takes place and we're then reborn or born again out of the Spirit. God miraculously does something in that moment where we become a child of God, a son 
or daughter. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, a guarantee of inheritance of being as his children. We're called to be new creations at that moment. We're actually not called to be, but rather we're declared to be new creations. It's a miraculous transformation into something new where shame has no foothold. Because there is no condemnation. Our value is anchored in Christ. This happens again the moment that trust is placed in Jesus as Savior. Titus chapter 3 puts it this way. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done. So we can't earn it on our own. But according to his mercy. Again, our efforts don't determine our value. God's mercy does. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, he poured out a spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This is the work that he does within us. Ephesians chapter 1 says that, that when we come to a point of salvation, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work within our lives to change us. Romans 8, again, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. These are the things that are declared by God to be true. And then what we wrestle with, though, is our perception. Our perception of our failure. Our perception of shame. Our perception of what God thinks of us or what others think of us or what we even think of ourselves. That is what, if we allow to, to stabilize into an identity, actually becomes a, an identity that crushes us. And we can't allow that to happen. What we have to come down to is what is true. My perception of who I am or who others perceive me to be, is that true or is what God declares me to be is true? That's what we have to anchor our identity on. That's when we come into these situations where shame tries to slip in over a five-minute conversation about a film camera. That if we dwell on that, it's easy to feel that feeling of shame. And it can start to impact the way that we interact with people. And maybe we don't interact with somebody again because we don't want to feel that way. Versus, in Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, I can have these conversations. And trust that the Holy Spirit's going to lead me. And if, if I do make a mistake, I can grow from that mistake. That's where we look into those things. If we try, again, to find our value, identity, or completeness in other sources, whether it's successes or failures, approval of others, our appearance, or even our sexuality, we're falling back into the traps of the world again. Colossians 2 states that we should be careful that no one takes us captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, based on the perceptions of the world, the judgments of the world, or, or even our judgments of ourselves, but rather do it on Christ, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily 
in Christ. We need to make sure that we're anchoring in truth of Scripture. But the battle that we fight has to be for our identity. This is the journey of of being a disciple of Christ. There's this miraculous work that's been done within us when we came to salvation. where, Where we are the most beautiful and valuable and glorious beings in the created universe. Again, as human beings redeemed by Christ, we are the most beautiful, the most valuable, the most precious, the most glorious beings in the created universe. I say that distinction created because God was not created, right? So that keeps us separate from him. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Father, they are the ultimate glory. They are the ultimate value. They are the ultimate holiness. Absolutely, 100%. But it's only human beings that they made in their image. It's only human beings that when we come to salvation, we receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit. They come and live within us. Which is why our value is beyond any other created thing. We we can look at blue whales and how massive and magnificent they are. Not in God's image, not bearing His image, and not carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're so much more valuable than that. We're so much more precious to God because of what He's done within us. That is the truth of our existence. Ephesians 2 says that right now as we're seated within this room, we're seated in the heavenly realms. Currently. Yeah, amen. The battle that we fight is to actually believe it and live through it. And and that's the struggle that we have as disciples. Because we already are, but yet we're not fully living that way. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. That's the goal of being a church, is to say we're all on this journey. Let's work together and encourage one another uh, to head into that. Scripture promises from glory to glory that he will complete the work that's begun within us, but yet we're called to participate. It's not just this passive like, all right, I'm going to sit here on my couch as God just makes me more holy. Uh, Ephesians 4 puts it this way. Take off your former way of life, your old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. In other words, get rid of the old identity before Christ. Get rid of anything that you anchored your identity in before Christ. Verse 23, then be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, this new identity, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. This is what we fight for. This has to be the fight of our lives. Because if we fight to hold on to this identity, then when struggles come, when temptation comes, when things of the world are shaken around us, We're anchored in this truth and we respond out of this truth. Instead of doing it out of our own effort. We're doing it out of who we are. Scripture itself acknowledges that it's a battle. And I love the way that Ephesians chapter 6 puts it together. It says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not even against our own flesh and blood. 
but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, the spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Therefore, now as we go into the armor of God, each piece of this armor, as you reflect on it and meditate on it, relates to our identity. Take up the full armor of God with truth like a belt around your waist. Truth holding all things together. Everything about you held together by truth and the truth of God's word. Righteousness like armor on your chest. The core of who you are is covered in the righteousness of Jesus. If you are saved, that is what is true. So we're anchored in that sense of we are righteous in Jesus because of Jesus, but we ourselves are righteous. God has declared it to be that. Your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Uh, we carry the gospel with us. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Wherever we go, we bring the kingdom of God with us. It is who we are. Every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Again, this faith, it's the word uh, in Greek, it's pistis. It's taking up our trust in God, our faith in God, not in ourselves, but in Him in order to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Take up the helmet of salvation. This idea of the thing that's covering our brain and our mind and the way that we think, if it's always covered by the fact that we are saved in Jesus, we're going to be anchored regardless of what situation comes forward. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we take this truth, the sword of the Spirit, which can be used defensively and offensively. We can use it to protect ourselves and to block the attacks of the enemy, but we're also able to use it to put truth out into situations and to, to make a stand for the kingdom itself. This is all wrapped up in pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. I, I love this passage when it comes to reflecting and meditating upon our identity. That our whole idea of the sword of the truth, we can pull in all of these other verses that we're talking about where he made Jesus to be sin who wasn't sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That, that's using the sword of the Spirit. Um, this is what we need to anchor into. And it's something that we need to continually remind ourselves of. Because other identities are always trying to slip in and build themselves up within us. We, we tend to lean on other things. And again, God allows our lives to be shaken at times. Because when it's shaken, if something feels like it's falling apart in who we are or identity... All it's doing is revealing that we've been leaning on something other than him. And it gives us the opportunity to go back, to tear that out, and to re-anchor it within Christ as our foundation. Um, this kind of wraps up the uh, series in this. And we've been doing homework for, for most of these things. Um, and the one that, um, I've done this before and I want to do it again this week. And I'm encouraging you to join me. Uh, is this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. 
like, like in the morning, to, to be able to, before you do anything else, before any other thing has an opportunity to try and establish a foothold of identity in you, just to, to read through this. And, and as you read through this, you know, if it helps you to, to almost envision or pretend putting a helmet on or, or whatever, but it's this idea of like clothing yourself in the identity and armor of God. And, and essentially what you want to do is to say, Lord, this morning, before I do anything else, I acknowledge that I'm saved by you. I have salvation. Before I go out and I face anything else, I acknowledge I'm righteous because you've made me righteous. Wherever I go, I carry you with me in the gospel of, on my feet. I trust in you. My faith is in you. Let that guard me today. Let me carry your word in my heart, the sword of truth, so that whatever may come, I might be ready. And all of this, let me be anchored by truth. Just that meditation before you move on can help to remind yourselves of whatever I face today, this is who I am. Not because of my own abilities, not because of my own strength. Even the shield of faith is not based on my strength to be able to resist something. It's simply based on my trust in God, who he is, and what he's done. Then we can walk out, get ready for the day, and whatever may come, this will be the first thing that we declare. The first thing that we said is true. And if we do that consistently, that becomes the foundation that we build on. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the truth within your scripture. That regardless of what happens in the world around us or even outside these doors today, you are true, you are love, and in your grace and mercy you have rescued us from blindness, from spiritual death, and you have miraculously made us alive and that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. Lord, I pray that these truths uh, would be the armor that we put on, that it would anchor us to the identity that you died at the cross to give to us. And that when we find ourselves uh, slipping from that, falling from that, um, feeling like we're falling apart or shame is kicking in our door, uh, Lord, that we would be reminded that there is no separation for those. Nothing can separate us from your hand and that there is no condemnation. That we are on a path that you've placed us on and you've guaranteed getting us to the finish line. That we would not give up, but we would just take each step forward as you're calling us to in faith, in trust, and in joy, despite various trials, because it means that you're working within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.